Athletics President Sebastian Coe. We also need to figure out when we do come back, how can we be smarter? How can we create greater understanding, excitement and attraction in our sport? And as I said earlier, great organizations will come out of this uh, in better shape because they've used this time also to just to think things through again. And look, you know, they always say never let a good crisis go to waste. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Around the Rings Radio, bringing you the people who influence the business of the Olympics and world sport. I'm Ed Hula. Our guest today is Sebastian Coe, who's been a marquee figure throughout his career in sport, beginning with the Olympics, where he was a double gold medalist in the 1500 meters for Great Britain, a legendary miler. Coe was chosen to step in to lead the bid from London for the 2012 Olympic Games, and he helped the bid cross the finish line ahead of competition from Madrid and Paris. He remained with London 2012 as chairman, essentially the public face of the London Olympics, in 2015, he took another big step to win election as president of World Athletics, known then as the IAAF. And he's now one of the most experienced individuals in the world with the Olympics, from athlete to executive. We're pleased to have Sebastian Coe as our guest today on Around the Rings Radio. And he comes to us today from his lockdown post at home in London. Welcome, Sebastian Coe. How's it going with the lockdown? Well, Ed, I, I, I'm, I'm, I normally at this point say I'm delighted to be here, but frankly, at this very moment, I'm just delighted to be anywhere. <laughs> so I'm in lockdown London, um, and uh, I think for the foreseeable future, it looks that that will be the way. Uh, but we're all functioning well. We're all working hard, and my teams in Monaco headquarters are, are working remotely, but I have to say they're working really well. Well, what's what's it been like for you working at home? Uh, you know, when you think you're at home, you're at home and not working. But this has become a new new environment for you. Um, has the has the workload been any 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 less? The fact that we're in this this pandemic. Now, I think there are a lot of things that uh, have changed. Clearly, my uh, understanding of technology that I wouldn't have even heard of three weeks ago. If you'd said to me, Ed, at the beginning of the year that the two trending comments were likely to be socially distancing, and I think you're on mute, I would take good odds on that, particularly uh, as, as we're only really a third of the way, barely a third, or just over a third of the way through uh, 2020. So, no, look, I, we are working flat out, and there's no doubt about that. Um, and the technology, in a funny sort of way, helps us do that, probably in some ways a little more effectively. You know, I'll just give you the example of a, of a classic week. Uh, through, through the medium that we're, we're on today, I'm able to speak to my executive board, the Athletes Commission, uh, the area presidents, um, the, uh, the, 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 all the teams uh, at headquarters. Uh, and you can actually get a lot done. Uh, clearly, it's not the long-term solution because human interactivity in any organization is important. But I do think the smart organizations, wherever they currently sit uh, in the landscape, are trying to figure out how they can sensibly re-engineer themselves so that they are stronger, more resilient, and more emotionally connected to the world than they probably were before they went into 
to lockdown. Well, it is an extraordinary year, and the collapse of the competition calendar must be an extraordinary thing for athletics to deal with. I don't think you've had anything like this in in the modern age to deal with. And, and, and you were among the first to cancel a major event, the indoor championships that were set for, for March in, in Nanjing, China. Um, you know, how do you, how do you recover and how do you deal with the collapse of, of your business, essentially, of, of, of athletic competitions in, in 2020? Look, it's a challenge. We will get through this um, and we will come out the other side and we will be stronger. But no, Ed, you're right. You know, when you have to postpone events, as we did starting with the World Indoor Championships, but mercifully, we were able to find very quickly uh, a replacement date in March of uh, uh, 2021. Uh, And that's important because we need to be able to create a structure for athletes going forward. Now, that's not always been possible to do it as quite as quickly as that. Uh, we have other events that we have postponed that we will need to understand a great deal more about the journey that this awful pandemic is taking. We need to be in constant uh contact with all the agencies out there that can advise us and we do have an ex- we have a world-class uh, sports science and health sciences team uh, in headquarters that will help us with that um i i guess the the, the biggest challenge here is for the athletes uh, and if you stick the athletes at the center of all your thinking then by and large you get get it pretty much right for most parts of the organization but for the athletes, this is a this is a double whammy. Not only have they been removed from something that they spend most of their waking and sometimes far too much of their sleeping hours thinking about and preparing for, that's just disappeared. Uh, and with it, of course, some of the uh, financial cushioning uh, that many of them have you know have relied upon to keep you know family and uh, uh, and 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 their own training programs together that's why of course we've created the fund uh, which I hope will be able to provide a modest contribution to those most in need so it it is the athletes that I feel for here they're a resilient bunch they're strong they're 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 motivated you couldn't do they couldn't do what they do without being uh, you know a a, a, a strong of strong mind and physicality but having said that this is still a big wrench for and you're not able to compensate them to the degree that they would ordinarily be be paid if they were for example making their appearances in the wanda diamond league for example no i i don't think we can do that look we're not a wealthy sport we're not we're not destitute but we're not football uh, so we need to we need to manage at this moment. We need to manage our finances very, very prudently and very carefully. And I say that for one really important reason: that international federations like ours do not have their own money. Uh, it's grant-funded money that we then distribute for the development and delivery of sport athletics. In our case. And when you have a sport of well over 200 federations, you can see why it is so important to be very careful 
with our financial management. Now, we do actually have a very, very good financial team uh, at headquarters now. Um, and, you know, they, again, like the athletes, they're spending a lot of their waking hours trying to figure out how they can keep us safe and sound and, crucially, allow the sport to go on growing and developing throughout these difficult and dark days. Uh, is there a danger of world athletics running out of money? I mean, do you have to make staff cuts, budget cuts, as a result of what's going on right now? No, we've been careful and we've been prudent. Um, and as you've probably seen, we furloughed, well, at this very moment, about 57% of our clubs are on furlough. We've been able to... Uh, you know, to, 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 to push expenses that we don't need to, to have now uh, further down the, the track, uh, and all the things that any good business would do to remain liquid. Uh, we remain in very strong conversations with our partners, uh, and I'm very pleased to report that they remain strong and committed to the sport. But look, you know, you, you wouldn't want this situation to, to run on indefinitely, I really do genuinely hope, for all sorts of reasons, that the pandemic is contained within the next few months. And crucially, it allows us to get back to a modicum of competition. And this is very important for the athletes, partly because of what we just discussed around prize money and their financial wherewithal, uh, but also the fact that they need competition underneath their belts. Look, you know, we've seen the most extraordinary examples of creativity online from athletes who have shown all sorts of ways of keeping fit, keeping themselves mentally buoyant. But however clever that is, it, it's not the type of training they need to be able to get back into competition. You can do all sorts of things in the confines of your sitting room. You can't throw a javelin. You can't uh, you can't practice uh stride patterns for the hurdles you can't sling a shot put uh, you do need that specificity and most athletes will need at least six seven sometimes eight weeks of that type of work before they're ready to get back into competition but competition is really important for them and we don't want them to go through the winter season well not not the winter season for everyone but of course because of the southern north and south hem southern hemisphere nature of our sport but we don't want them to go through the latter part of this year and then into an Olympic year with no competition under their belt. And that's why we're doing whatever we can at the moment. We do need to get athletes back into the stadiums, and ideally we need to get the crowds in there watching them. Well, the, the disruption from corona also comes as you're trying to revamp, revitalize the program, the presentation for athletics to spectators, to TV. You know, how much is a, of a setback is it for these plans uh, as well? The, the Diamond, Diamond League is, is on hold for, the, for this year. When yeah, do you Diamond get the chance League. to do all of this? Yeah, it, no, look, it, 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 is, it is, of course, a challenge. Uh, and it's not just Diamond League because we also had the, uh, the Continental Tour. I was in Sydney in, in January, February when uh, we, we launched that. Uh, and that was a very successful meeting. It then went to uh, New Zealand, where for the first time in 25 years, it attracted live uh, live television. 
My only lament in all that, and and you would probably get this given your your American background, I'd like to see more one-day meetings in the United States. I think that is really going to be crucial for the development of our sport, particularly given that you have the World Athletics Championships in Eugene, was 21, now 22. That's really important. Uh, And we maintain right the way through this process dialogue with all our partners, whether they're broadcasts, whether they're sponsors, whether they're city uh cities municipalities the great work that we do with our meeting directors the local organizing committee in in eugene all all these organizations we are constantly in touch with and it's really important uh, that we don't just sit here thinking well we've got an immediate problem about the cancellation or the postponement of an event we also need to figure out when we do come back how can we be smarter? How can we create greater understanding, excitement, and attraction in our sport? And as I said earlier, great organizations will come out of this uh, in better shape because they've used this time also to just to think things through again. And look, you know, they always say never let a good crisis go to waste. Uh, I can assure you in world athletics, whether it's the work we continue with the, uh, the, the work around our calendar Uh, Some of the things we're doing around creating new and interesting formats going forward, some of the re-engineering, some of the timetabling, some of the thinking around our major championships. All this is going on uh, in in tandem with the, the, the daily grind of maintaining the sport and maintaining our business. When do you think there might be events that, 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 that competitions this year, how, how, how early are you expecting that to be able to happen? Where might it happen? I wish I could give you a clear answer to that, Ed. I, I don't have one. Clearly, we will be guided by governments and organizations like the World Health Organization uh, and public authorities. Uh, and, you know, I did say that one of the advantages of our sport is that we are an individual sport and there are things that we've been able to do. Uh, because we're an individual sport that has kept us out there with with public interest. One of the challenges, of course, we have is just the sheer size of our sport. If you are a sport of well over 200 countries, then it's pretty self-evident to say that each one of those countries is at a different place in the journey of that virus. What we have done is we've created a window in August, the 8th and 9th of August, for our national championships. Now, it may be possible for more competition to come back in that format because we don't have the issue, because it will be within the borders of one country. There will be the the athletes of that nation. They're not having to come across borders. They're not having to get onto international flights. Uh, Most national championships don't normally invite athletes from overseas. So it may be possible to get some of those competitions up uh, and running. And I would still like to hope that we have the ability to stage some of our one-day meetings, uh, but that will inevitably be into the latter part of the year. And, of course, in Europe that's a challenge because once you get much beyond the beginning of September, you know, the temperatures do, do start dropping. Occasionally you can get really nice nice summers that sometimes stretch into October, but on, on, a, on most occasions you don't. So I don't think there's going to be a one-size-fits-all here. 
uh, and I think the athletes recognize that. And what we really have done is we've tried where possible to create a structure. Now, it may not always be po possible to populate that structure, but at least we, we are giving some, so, so, some rhythm to what we hope will be a latter part of the season. Hope there will be international competitions by sometime before the end of this year. I, I would love to. I would love to see that. The athletics fan in me tells me I would love to see that. I think there's going to be a real appetite for sport, and athletics sits at the heart of that. But again, you know, anybody as our as our health and science director Stefan Bermont regularly reminds me and our teams. You know, this is the challenge of trying to predict a new virus. It is just not that easily predicted. And everybody whose judgment I value in that world tells us to be careful and cautious uh, about speculating or, or, or making definitive decisions about when we might all be back into competition. It's just simply, for obvious reasons, not that easy. Uh, changing the dates of the 2021 World Championships in Eugene, Oregon to 2022. Um, you've been able to do that, it, it seems, relatively comfortably so far. Every, all, all, everything is falling into place to make that change. But what will that mean long term for the World Championships for World Athletics to have that event moved up one year? And in the same year as you have the Indoor Championships as well. I think the speed with which we were able to settle upon a new date uh, for the World Championships underpins one really important nostrum in any business, and that is that the greatest mitigator against risk is the creation of resilient relationships. Uh, and the fact that our relationship with the Oregon Organizing Committee, the LOC, the town, uh, the other structures within that town that will be helping to deliver these championships was so strong that we were able to move very quickly. In fact, it was something that we were complimented on by the International Olympic Committee once that they had decided uh, that the Games would be moved from 20 to 21 into pretty much the same slot. It was clearly obvious that it, it was, would have been crazy to have gone either head-to-head -head or tried to have a World Championships in the same year as an Olympic Games. I think that also posed some additional problems Look, the World Championships will sit centre stage in the, in the athletics calendar uh, in uh, 2022. But that has also meant that we've had to work alongside uh, and make sure we haven't damaged the Commonwealth Games. And that counts as 70, well, 70 odd members. About a third of our membership have Commonwealth affiliations. And the Commonwealth Games has often been a high point in, in our athletics history. And, of course, the, the European Championships. Now, if you'd said to me, Ed, you know, at the beginning of the year that we would have been contemplating a landscape where we were having to put all those three events into one year, I'd have sort of probably grabbed the Panadol. Um, but if you then said to me that we were not only trying to put them all into the same year, but then into a window of not much more than six and a half, seven weeks, I'd have probably taken the whole bottle. Um, and, you know, that, that has been our challenge. But we, we, we recognize the World Athletics Championships will be center stage. Uh, but with that responsibility, with that seniority, I didn't want to do anything that damaged those other events because they are also, as you know, really important showcases for our sport. 
and being really optimistic about it, and this is what does excite me, if you then look at the calendar for 2021, you then have the Olympic Games. Athletics, number one sport, sits at the centre of that. 2022, we then have three outstanding world championships, three outstanding championships, including a world championship. 23, we're then athletic centre stage, middle of the summer, the world championships, Budapest. 2024, we're back to Paris. Athletics, the number one sport, again, centre stage. And 25 will be uh, another world championship year. So we can look forward to athletics absolutely centre stage in the most absorbable part for many of our sporting fans uh, over the course of four, actually five years. And that has to be very good for us as a sport. And we have to build on that. We haven't talked about the uh, elephant in the room. I can't see him on my camera, but he is here. The the postponement of the Tokyo Olympics. Um, and interested to get get your thoughts on how this is going because of your experience running the London Olympics, knowing firsthand what it's like, the myriad of details that you go into planning and getting ready to to do the games. How dawning of a prospect is it to come four months to the Olympics and be told, hold on, put on the brakes, we're going to do it a year from now? Um, you're also a member of the Tokyo 2020 Coordination Commission, so your your input is uh, is, is 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 given there. Um, oh, if it was London 2012 and somebody told you in in in, in May of 2012 we're not going to have the Olympics this year but next year, what would it be like? Well, Ed, you actually took, in a way took the words right out of my mouth because I was about to say I suppose the livid nature of this decision um, is is made even greater for me, I guess, having been through that whole process in London for seven years as the chair of the organising committee. Um, and look, I, I would say this, wouldn't I? I don't think anybody understands more about the absolute complexity of an Olympic Games than the organising committee. You leave that seven-year period of, uh, of growth and development and delivery, knowing more about the challenges than any other element in the sporting or Olympic landscape. So, uh, first of all, I absolutely felt for, uh, felt for all those in that organising committee the day that decision was made, because nobody, nobody makes that lightly. Uh, and I felt equally sorry for the International Olympic Committee, because that is their showcase. And of course, the international federations are the people, not the National Olympic Committee, but the international federations are the ones that are basically delivering sport, uh, and they too ha had their challenges. And, and so, Ed, look, the simple answer to your question is, it doesn't really matter where you look on that landscape. Um, a, the postponement of those games is met with massive tiers of complexity uh, and challenge. Uh, and one of those challenges that I think has been slightly overlooked, and, and I can probably articulate it better than most, is that not only do you have the disappointment in an organizing committee of maybe nine, ten thousand people, because you know you start off at, at the beginning of that journey with your bid, 
team. You then double your numbers every year. The biggest scale up, if you like, is over the last year, where you go from four and a half, five thousand, five thousand to ten thousand people. That's a massive jump. But I can tell you, and my teams in London, I'm sure, would absolutely support my view on this, that by the time you got to that opening ceremony, you were absolutely running on empty. Uh, you were exhausted. So the first thing that that organizing committee is going to have to attend to is how do you deal with that suffusion of disappointment and fatigue? I think those teams will need some time, you know, just to, to, to come down the mountain a little, uh, to regroup and then to deliver games that will be stronger, I think, next year than they are this year. Uh, and the, the challenge around what do you do with those venues, how do you mothball them, some of the permanent venues will have commercial legacy tenancy agreements in place, the village is clearly going to go back into public hands, uh, you then have to worry and figure out what you're going to do with all your temporary venues because the game's now being delivered in a much more sustainable way, you have all your broadcast, your, your sponsorship uh, challenges, and then you have all the other issues to attend to, which is again, you know, how do you communicate all this to local communities? The the the, the messaging at a local level in an Olympic Games is absolutely crucial. So this will be a huge challenge, uh, and you know, the, the prudent management through this is going to be absolutely essential. Uh, and I think they've actually, <clears throat> I think they've made a very good start on that, uh, but you know. They're probably only just in the foothills of understanding on a daily basis uh, what they're going to have to deal with. You talked about communication dealing with people on the, on the local level. They, they have volunteers who are ready to go to work this summer who now have to put those plans on hold. And Tokyo 2020 itself must reconsider its personnel resources who will be able to volunteer for example all, all these things are are really important but look i try always to look on the on the bright side of things where i can uh, one of the most popularly asked questions i used to get as president or chair of the london organizing committee particularly after we deliver the games is you know what are the things that you would have done differently had you had a little bit more time or had you thought about things in a slightly different way? And that's inevitable in, an, in a project of such inordinate complexity. Um, and the reality of it is that actually the closer you get to the field of play, the competition, the, the finer those adjustments are and the more frequently you make them. And sometimes you make them by the hour. I think the Tokyo Organizing Committee can spend some of this time looking at the things uh, and not just saying, well, we would have done that differently. They now can do that differently. So I'm optimistic that actually not only will be people want to be celebrating sport again, I think sport will be the great driver out of these dark days. I think that it's going to be an essential cushion for communities that have actually some of them been badly traumatized, traumatized through this. But I also think there is a really good chance that these games will be delivered, you know, in an even more profound way and probably project management even better than they would have been in 2020. And that's something I think we can look forward to. 
but instead of saying while they have a lot to do a lot a lot a, a big punch list to go through um you would maybe counsel that they have the luxury the ability to take a break take a breath right now they, they probably don't at this moment see it as a luxury but i would encourage them to do that look athletes at the end of a tough season need breathing space they need downtime um you know and however you finish your season whether you finish your season on a high or you finish your season mildly disappointed by the way it went you still need that time out so i look i'm sure I know the Tokyo Organising Committee. I am, as you say, on the uh, Coordination Commission. It is a world-class group of people. I'm sure they will think that through. Uh, and it is important that their teams uh, at every level come back refreshed and renewed and excited about the challenge of delivering the games uh, in a year's time. And I see no reason why those games shouldn't be really outstanding. And of course, lingering over all of this is the uncertainty, the question of whether the coronavirus will be able to be stopped with a vaccination or therapeutics available to lessen the impact of the illness. Uh, to what degree are you worried? Should Tokyo 2020 and the IOC be worried about whether there are advances in treating the coronavirus to make the games safe and secure and certain that they will take place next year look i i think it is important in any organization when you're really in a difficult you know in difficult times to 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 to, to scenario to to gameplay whatever you however you would describe it but I, I am a great believer in life ed of sort of you know it is it is the classic two columns isn't it it's what can you do something about and what can you do at this moment? Nothing about. Uh, and, you know, focus on the column that has all the things that you can really make a difference to and let the other stuff play out for a little bit. Now, I'm not being sanguine about the journey that this epidemic is likely to take. I'm not scientifically qualified enough to make any of those judgments. We're all reliant on you know, on the intelligence of the scientific community and guidelines set down by, by government. I think at this moment, if I'm being absolutely brutal, I think it is probably not particularly helpful to speculate in that space. Uh, and I, I tell you why. I think it's really important that the IOC and the international federations agreed on the new date very quickly. That gave structure and some certainty to athletes and to organizations. It was really important that where we have been able to do so, we created structures that we hope to the best of our ability we will be able to get our events back in. But I think sitting there speculating uh, about a pandemic that nobody at this moment really seems to understand because you know viruses particularly new ones are remarkably unpredictable is something that is probably not too useful particularly for us at world athletics to be thinking about at this moment the athletes have a date next year i sincerely hope that we have done everything we possibly can to have confined uh, the epidemic and that and the pandemic and that will be in large part you know the frontline health workers that are really becoming treasured elements of all our societies at the moment and, and, and smart 
uh, smart people who have specialist knowledges in this area, but I was speaking to a Nobel Science Prize winner this morning who specializes in part in this space, and he said it is a very unpredictable landscape, and he agreed that speculating too much is probably not particularly helpful at this moment. Unrelated to corona, but a lingering matter involving the Federation or the judicial proceedings in France for former President Lamine Diak, uh, there had been talk that there might be resolution of the case, a trial perhaps this summer in France. I, I think the, the coronavirus has caused more delay there. How eager are you to have this case settled and turn the corner on this chapter in the Federation's history? Well, look, as you said, that, that this case is in the hands of, of the French authorities. Uh, we have a, a status known as Parti Civil, um, and it's in everybody's interest to conclude this very unhappy chapter uh, in our sport. But I think we also recognise that the particular challenges at the moment that the pandemic produces means that, I, I don't know this for sure, but I'm guessing that there will inevitably be some delay in that process. And how about your long-term interests past the uh, World Athletics presidency? Uh, well, first of all, short-term, IOC membership, is that something you're interested in? Is that, is that a possibility? Well, th that's being discussed at the moment, and I'm, I'm very happy to have those discussions. It's important that athletics is represented uh, in, in the movement. It always has been. Uh, and that is something that we always take seriously. But I have always taken the view that my responsibility is to represent athletics in the Olympic movement, not the Olympic movement in, in athletics. Uh, and so to answer your immediate question, my ambition is to be as effective uh, a world uh, athletics president as I possibly can be. Uh, and I... Probably, I doubt that any of my predecessors have probably been tested quite, you know, in, in quite the same way that this particular one has over, over five years. But as they say, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Uh, and the sport, the sport will come out of this again stronger. I think I'm very proud of the way that we've taken leadership roles in many of the big decisions. Uh, we've not been afraid to lay out our plans and our thinking. Uh, and that's what I've always wanted for our sport. I've wanted our sport to always be at the head of thought leadership. And I'm really proud that at every level in our sport, whether it's member federations of some of our smaller countries uh, or our big continental groups uh, and all our partners in that ecosystem, I think that... Um, well, I think I have good reason to be very proud of the way that they have all responded to the challenges of the last few months. Uh, London Olympic Mayor Boris Johnson is now your head of state, well, your, your prime minister, leader of the government. Not quite head of state yet. That would yeah. really make me a, a constitutional <laughs> upheaval. Uh, I, I, but I think, hey, who knows? <laughs> well, the, the crown would certainly look, uh, well, interesting upon that tousled head. Um, has did, did his experience with the Olympics help him uh, in this in this role as prime minister? Look, the mastery of an of, of, of Olympic um, project management is is, is important. Uh, I think 
you know, I, I, I've often said this, but there is no project like an Olympic Games that challenges a city and arguably a country under normal circumstances than the delivery of a Games. If you think about his role and responsibility as Prime Minister, and you think of his role as, as the Mayor of London, we all had to interact with 19 different government departments to deliver those Games. Uh, because no organizing committee alone can do that. You need your, your agencies, your law enforcement, your intelligence. You need the public authorities to come in behind you. So I, I absolutely know that that will be, uh, uh, that's a very, very good experience for anybody that really wants to understand the way different government departments connect or, or sometimes don't. Uh, with, with their neighbours, so I can't I can't say that his time spent as mayor of London and particularly understanding the complexity of the games is 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 time badly spent. I think it does help you understand the enormity uh, of what government actually has to and can successfully deliver uh, when it is focused and streamlined, uh, and you don't allow the politicians too close to the steering. Well, your experience, your resume includes uh, that depth of experience. Would uh, would that be enough for you to consider a more serious role in politics, perhaps being prime minister one day? Uh, no, I, I think that moment, uh, even if I had had that ambition, has probably gone. I, I enjoyed my time as a member of parliament for a short period of time as a um, as a minister. I was also the chief of staff in a you know in the Conservative Party. Uh, and I'm also a, a, a reasonably active member uh, of the House of Lords, uh, given some of the constraints there that I have on, on, on international travel. So I, keep, uh, I do keep politically abreast uh, of, of most of the things that are going on. But no, my, uh, my entire and immediate focus is, is pointed towards athletics. I'm very happy to be doing that. Well, thank you, Sebastian Coe, World Athletics President, for joining us on this edition of Around the Rings Radio. We hope you'll be back uh, many more times, even if you're not Prime Minister. Yeah, well, if you allow me back, even as, as not as Prime Minister, I'll be very flattered. But, Ed, uh, to you and all those listening to this podcast, please, please stay safe. And thank you for joining us on this edition of Around the Rings Radio, where we bring you the leading voices in world sport and the Olympics. I'm Ed Hula. For more than 25 years, your best source of news about the Olympics is AroundTheRings.com.